Network automation starts something like, what if I could build a script to handle this task I have to do over and over? And you figure that out. And so then you write a few more scripts and then you realize a tool like Ansible or Terraform, they're a better way for certain tasks. And so then somewhere in there, you get the team to rally around some sources of truth and then you build the processes to keep those things up to date. And along the way, you realize you could make a few tasks self-service and that would really improve delivery times for things like temporary dev test networks. And if you just hook a couple of those scripts into the authorization workflow kicked off by the ticketing system, and it's about this time after you've written the 27th bit of glue code to normalize JSON payloads from different APIs to get the thing done, you're trying to get done that, that you, you can't keep doing this. You're dying under the weight of technical debt. You can't keep up with how it all works. Documentation is always about three steps behind. You and maybe one other human understand this Rube Goldberg machine that you've built, and it, it mostly works, but it's all just fragile. You need a network automation system that isn't fragile, that everyone in the organization can rally around and use, that integrates with the systems you already have, that doesn't make you get rid of your investment in scripts and playbooks, but helps you bring them under control. Our sponsor today is Itential. They've been on heavy networking before, and they are back to discuss how you can deliver a scalable network automation system for your enterprise using their platform. Itential's Peter Spragata, VP of Product Management, joins us for this discussion. Peter, welcome to the show. And man, I want to understand what you guys mean by enterprise scalable network automation. Explain that for us. Absolutely, and and first and foremost, let me say thanks thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, be here, and, and more importantly, let me just say hi to everyone listening. Uh, you know, really appreciate you tuning in and and uh, you're taking an interest. But um, no, I think you know you, you 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 hit the nail on the head. What the heck is you know scalable enterprise automation? Um, you know, and and you know, I think when when we start talking about scalable enterprise automation, what we're really talking about is how does an organization and and that organization can be 20 people, or it can be 200 people, or it can be 20,000 people, but how do they start to take automation and bring it into the organization in a way that they can maintain the necessary controls and boundaries and guardrails around it so that it doesn't overtake their infrastructure? So we're talking about how do we do security? How do we do auditing? How do we scale things up? How do we attach just separate parts of the company together to deliver an end-to-end -end flow? You know, how do we troubleshoot the platform? How do we operate the platform? These are all elements around scalable enterprise automation. And that's really a, a big part of, of what our focus is on at Attention. Well, Peter, that, that implies a, a mindset difference because if network engineers tend to think about tasks, I'm task-oriented, I have to build a VLAN, add these routes, stand up a VPN tunnel. You're talking about a very different mindset, one that is about a, a system, you use the term platform, uh, upon which those tasks can be built. Is that a fair observation? It is, you know, and, and you know, you think about this and, and uh, you know, you, you absolutely hit on the nail on the head there in your opening here uh, a bit. And that is, you know, you think about the journey of, of a network professional today and, and you know, they kind of got into this whole world of scripting or development or net DevOps or good heavens, there are so many other labels we can apply to this thing, but let's not get into that soup. <laughs> um, the, 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 the reality is, right, is that, that they sat down and they wrote a very simple script. All I want to do is push a VLAN onto a device. I don't want to make it more complex than that. So I did it and I hacked away and I made it happen. Fantastic. That's wonderful. 
But now the problem is, is that I want to share this with, you know, my coworker three cubes over or in the other side of the world. And so I try and do that. And, um, uh oh, they don't know how to run it because they don't know what the inputs are. I, I knew that because I wrote it. They could read that. Do, do, oh, wait a minute. That's right. I didn't write the documentation either. Right. Um, so, so, you know, how do we start to bring that into the organization? Then how do we start to attach all of the necessary pieces to it so that at, at the end of the day, we can actually deliver what I love to coin as ticket to ticket automation. This idea that we can start with, we can start automation from the point the ticket gets created to the point the ticket is completed. And that's what really defines, you know, kind of what we're about here. Well, I think it's also important to think of that you start off by writing one script that does one thing and you get so excited about that. You also move into writing another script that does another thing. So maybe you say, well, I've done that to configure VLANs. Now what I'll do is configure it to add an access list to a VLAN. You write another script and then you write another script that does something else. Maybe it starts to create BGP addresses, you know, address families or something like that. And then all of a sudden you think to yourself, really, what I actually want to do is actually have multiples of those scripts working in certain ways. I want to string them together. And then you've got a problem. How do you weld them together? How do you start to scale that up into workflows? Does potential give me something in that space? It does. And, and, and you know, I think that, that you know, when, when you start to think about that scenario, and, and you're absolutely right in what you just described, mm. and, and it, it's actually even worse, you know, in my mind, it's actually even worse than that, because sure, I wrote the script, and yeah, I tested it against the device that I'm, I'm managing and I'm controlling. Maybe it's a lab, maybe it's my part of the network, but uh-oh, all of a sudden, right, I need to get an IP address on the device. Well, where does that come from? Well, sure, yeah. it's fine. When I was hard coding everything, I just hard coded it in, or I just passed yeah. it in as a parameter or whatnot. But as we know, most organizations don't manage, or at least... <laughs> They shouldn't be managing their IP addressing that way. Um, yeah. So, you know, you need to interface with other systems. You need to bring all this together. And when you start to do that, you have to work, you know, the proverbial across the aisle, right? I got to go work now with the, the, the IPAM team or, or whatever the team might be. So what we've been building at potential to try and help solve some of this is this idea that let's, let's think about how this materializes actually in a company today, right? We all get together yeah. in a room. And we start chatting and, you know, we may start throwing things at each other and that's okay. Um, but, but we don't get too far into that meeting and, and what happens. Someone gets up, they walk over to the whiteboard, they start scribbling stuff, right? Maybe they draw the network. Mm-hmm. And then the IPAM guru gets up and they draw a bunch of stuff on the board. And then some other person gets up and they draw a bunch more stuff on the board. And, and at the end of the day, you've got all of this, this spaghetti drawn on the board. Okay, now someone's got to take that and try and translate that into something you can do. What if, what if you could avoid all of that and just do that on a drag and drop canvas so that at the end of the day, what you end up with is the thing built. And that's what we're all about. So part of the potential tool set is that I could have 10, 20, 30 scripts that I've developed, or maybe I've got them from somewhere else that does a thing. And then I think to myself, well, I want one that does configuration of six things. So instead of turning that into one script and then trying to maintain that script separate from the six pieces that you welded together, you can start to use the potential tool to say, I want to run each of these scripts in order and to pass the data between them and interface with some central source of truth. So I've got an IP database and I start to pull the, pull the configuration from that central configuration manager and things like that. That's right. But, but and, and let me even kind of take you even a, a step deeper into this idea because that's all well and good at, uh, you know, from, for a product marketer, that's fantastic. It's a beautiful story, right? And then, <laughs> then it gets into, then it gets down into the technical weeds and it's like, okay, wait a minute, this doesn't translate to reality. Why? Because mm-hmm. I've got this IPAM over here 
won't name names, don't care what it is, got this IPM over here and it's going to present data to me one way. And I've mm -hmm. got to, to interface with my inventory and it's going to present data a completely different way. I mean, for God's sakes, we can't even figure out, you know, a standard way to, to represent an IP address with subnet mask, right? <laughs> um, so, so imagine we start bringing all these two separate systems together, right? All of the different permutations of how data gets represented. So mm. a big part of what we do in, in our workflow capabilities is we provide through that, that UI, through that graphical element, the ability to transform data, live data on the fly through that workflow. And that's a big key to really being able to deliver on this functionality. And when you describe this drag and drop canvas here, okay, we're, we're building workflows with this thing. What am I dragging and dropping exactly? So, so I think this is where we really start to separate ourselves from, from a lot of the, the prevailing thoughts about how we build these types of systems, network automation systems in the past. One of the, the key elements that, that you're actually dragging onto the canvas is not, you know, some, some abstraction that someone sat down and said, hmm, I think this makes sense for how you define a BGP peer or an ACL or whatever the case may be. What you actually start dragging and dropping um, is you actually are dragging and dropping actual API endpoints for the services you're trying to integrate. And that is really a big key because there's never a point in time when you integrate any service into Itential that you're having to wait for someone to sit down and, and write an abstraction or write an interface or write something so I can start to use it. You actually start using those API endpoints natively, and then you use the, the, the transformation capabilities to translate the data in real time from one to another. So, so you mentioned, uh, we, we talked about IPM a little bit earlier, and you said, mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. Yep. I guess you don't care yep. what it is because as long as there's an API that can be consumed, um, it, it's irrelevant. The API and being able to consume it is what matters. Correct. In fact, um, I'll, even, I'll even take it a step further and say, I prefer to have an API, but I don't necessarily even need it to have an API. Uh, obviously, <laughs> you know, anything worth its salt, you know, in, in today's operational environment is going to have an API. But you know, this is all about, you know, this all started with network automation and let's all be honest here, right? The networking world has not been uh, at the forefront of API first development. I think it's a fairly safe. Well, uh, yeah, in our defense, a lot of networks are not funded on a three year replacement cycle either, well, or even indeed. a five year, right? Um, the, most people are sweating those assets because they don't need the extra bandwidth that a lot of, you know, it's not like a server where it makes sense to replace a server every three to five years and get, faster CPU or bigger storage arrays, networking quite often has, or historically has been sufficient. And so the need to, because to put APIs in our network equipment isn't simple. It actually requires a full rewrite of the kernel. It means, and a lot of people tried putting APIs on top of CLIs and that didn't work out very well. They just, well, actually mm -hmm. it was fairly horrible and customers complained <laughs> to the point, you know, so they really had to go through and rewrite their, the NOSes to be able to say they're API first. And what a lot of them now do is put the CLI on top of the API because the CLI Great. doesn't need to work at the same speed and the rate. So in our defense, it makes sense. But what it does mean is that if you've got a, a networking device that is that has an API, it's usually the best way to configure it. Oh, no question. Well, mm. To a point, no question. Uh, and that one point, there, there, there's there's one one kind of corner case, and we'll just leave it at that corner case. But but that is when we just simply wrap CLI commands in an API call. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know how close you're really getting to a true API in that case, but but beyond that, yes, I would agree absolutely with what you just said. Yeah, that was kind of an interim state, and we're moving through that as the industry catches up and as vendors accelerate their development cycle. So as you more and more customers develop tools like using Itential to configure their networks and moving away from just configuring one thing, you know, like a script that adds a VLAN or deletes a VLAN in a predetermined mm -hmm. steps and start says, what I actually want to do is look up where's my available VLAN ID, what subnet I should be attached to it, what IP addresses should go on the interfaces. Do I have to run a bunch of checks to validate that those IP addresses are actually not on the network before I deploy them and so on and so on, right? Absolutely correct. I mean, this is this is the whole concept of what I talk about ticket to ticket. It's, it's this whole idea that from the moment that a user request is made, for a change on the network, whether that's turning up a new port, adding a port to a, a lag, adding a new VLAN, adding a new, whatever it is. The, mm. the point is, is that, you know, as an industry we've been, and rightfully so, very focused on the, the act of automating the execution of the change. What I mean yeah. by that is we've been very focused on, on figuring out new and inventive and, and sometimes ridiculously crazy ways of pushing config onto a device. What we have not, or, or, or what the natural evolution of that though is, is understanding that, that a change is way more than actually putting CLI or, or even API calls onto a device, making a change on a device. In fact, mm -hmm. I would assert that that's not even the most critical part of the change, right? The most critical part of the change should be happening prior to the change actually being made on the device. And that is, right, validating to exactly what you just said, right? What is the VLAN ID I should be placing so I don't create a problem, right? Do I mm, even have yeah. an open port? Am I applying the right QoS policy? Am mm. I, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the key to, I think, what, what Attentials is doing with, with our, our platform is to be able to automate all of that through the entire uh, cycle. We've glossed over one point that I think is important. You said that the workflow tool with that does, mm -hmm. I can use drag and drop magic of API endpoints that I'm right. consuming. How does the tool right. know how to consume these API endpoints? If I'm coding, I'm going to look at API docs and know what JSON payloads to be expecting mm -hmm. and how to make mm -hmm. the call mm -hmm. and so on. So how does the tool, Itential, know how to do, deal with that? So what we've done with Platform is, you know, in, in the grand hope of not trying to reinvent something, reinvent a wheel here, is, is we simply work with a, a standard open API spec. So we can actually directly ingest a open API spec for any API. And based on how that spec is written, we can actually present every API endpoint in that spec to the canvas and that can be directly consumable by Itential's automation platform. But when you do that with known APIs or even just from reading fields and like Yang defines the fields in the API, for example, because you've got XML uh, defining what each field is and often there's descriptions, there's a, an XML namespace that can tell you what each field is. You've then got those fields in the Itential software platform and you can literally drag and drop them straight into scripting and, and rules-based automation, right? Yeah, we can. We can actually read in, we can actually read in um, uh, Yang models as well and, and do some, some native work with that. But, you know, the, you know if, if I'm honest with myself and, and honest with, with the technology we built, you know, we view the world as, as, as it continues to move forward that all services are eventually are going to collapse to JSON as a definition. Now, that doesn't mean that, that there aren't other ways to define models and, and, and interfaces and so forth, but we tend to believe that when you start thinking about the end-to-end -end workflow, it's really kind of JSON is becoming the de facto standard for everything. Uh, and, and, and that's really where, where our sweet spot is for how we build mm -hmm. out uh, and, and our the Yang, the Yang model could just be used as a reference to see what the JSON uh, key Correct. value pairs are going to be anyway. Yeah. 
Correct. And, and that's where our transformation capabilities come in play as well. Again, that idea that, that you know, if you will, we're doing live transcoding you know, for, for all the, the AV folks out there. We're doing live transcoding of data right, as it moves through, through the workflow. All right, let's move on to this next bit of magic you've talked about here, Peter, validation, um, which in the networking world is really freaking hard because to be able to define the test that you need to validate a certain configuration in your environment, you've got to know your own network environment, which is going to be unique. It's the same as everybody else's, but also unique somehow. D defining tests for that is, is a difficult thing. So how do you approach this? So, so in, in reality, right, at least from from potential platform perspective, being able to do validation is no different than, than how we did a lot of the pre-checks leading up to the change itself. It is a set of steps that need to happen, making API calls into things to go perform those tests that return to us a, a positive or a negative result. Now, a couple of things there. One is that, you know, I don't care how a customer chooses to ultimately build their 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 own test, their own their own test cases. You want to write a custom script? Great. Do you want to use Ansible? So be it. Are you using Terraform? Fine. I can work with that as well. The, the point being is that what we can do post-change is we're able to sequentially or in parallel execute those tests, evaluate the results, and then make conditional choices about where we go to next, up into and including as a workflow is running, prompting an operator to say, okay, we just ran into this problem. What do you want to do? And, and so that is all part of our workflow engine, and that's all part of that ticket-to-ticket -ticket concept. Okay, so it feels more like a pipeline then to me, where that testing right. can just be part of the pipeline, yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly so, right. All right. So, so I'm writing the test, whatever it is. There's some input that's going to have some output expected, and then the potential pipeline, let's say, workflow, is going to be validating that the test passed or didn't pass based on those inputs and outputs? That's that's absolutely correct. and. Because of, of, of the true nature of the workflow capabilities, the what comes on the backside of that, you're in full control of, right? Because just because a test passed, that doesn't mean that we want that's a successful iteration. That might be a, you know, that might be a bad situation. We may not want certain tests to pass for whatever reason. Uh, point being is that that you're absolutely right. We can we can then make a decision about where we go next with it. Maybe it's running more tests. Maybe it's pausing at that point, saying, "Okay, someone tell me what to do. I've I've run out of options here." Or maybe it's it's jumping onto an error path and you know, reverting a change or or notifying people or, or whatever the case may be. I think the the important point though is and and, and this is you know. I've been doing this a long time, and, and I think that that you know we can all remember right the the systems of the past that 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 you know tried to tried to understand everything the network was doing, right? And 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 we tried to turn you know some products tried to turn the whole concept of operating a network over to software and let software make all of the decisions because it could run through all these computations in, in a period of time. And the reality is, is we've learned that that just flat out doesn't work. Conversely, we have to do better than just simply automating the execution of the change, we've got to consider what happens pre and post change. And that's really where uh, I tend to continue to remain focused in our platform. I don't remember the name of the product anymore, but oh, 10 odd years ago, I was at a shop that had one of these network simulation tools. The idea was we would bring up a change, 
the network was entirely modeled in this tool, supposedly, like understood certain <laughs> Cisco devices and certain checkpoint firewalls and so on and so uh -huh. on, and had all the, the all the configurations we're living in there. You'd throw a change into the thing, and then it would spit some output at you. And at the end of the day, we'd spent a huge amount of money on this thing, dedicated to human, not quite a full human, but a big part of this engineer's time was devoted to making that simulation platform do the thing. Long story short... Mm -hmm. It didn't really work out. Um, it did not percolate <laughs> up shock. to the surface the things that we needed to have percolated up that were like, oh, how come the change uh, failed or we had to back out or whatever? Well, we ran it through the sim tool and it, we overlooked X, whatever it was. Oh, I had 25 years of HP OpenView and BMC Patrol. <laughs> Never, ever. It's just like, it's going to one day. a lot. Now I understand one day, many One things. day we're going to be able to have network we're going to have network monitoring and network operations. And it's going to be, if only we spent another 2 million on this tool, it was just <laughs> never. <laughs> I think, you know, but, but the, there, there is an underlying story here, right? And that, that is network operations, network operations teams, network engineering. It all has to move at an evolutionary approach, not a revolutionary approach. And I think yeah. that that's the real key to delivering, you know, really kind of any product in the space, whether it's potential or anyone else, right? Is that we have to understand that, that, you know, we didn't get here by accident, right? We got here for very good and very specific reasons. And, you know, it's, it's, taking those small steps that are going to allow us to evolve how we, we build, manage, and, and maintain networks. It's not jumping from here to there. Hmm. And I think that's important because networking is very unusual in that it doesn't embrace revolutions. You know, Correct. if we came out, like, look at SDN, where, what, Ethan, 14, Ooh. 15 years into the software-defined mm. transition. It started in late, say, 28. 2008, 2009, SD-WAN started in 2012 to 2014. 2022, we're just seeing software-defined roll out to become, say, 10 to 20% of networking in the net, in the world today. And it's it's just so we are incremental, not revolutionary. We don't actually believe in innovation as such because we, we run these distributed systems with hundreds of elements. You can't actually just say, all right, out with the old and in with the new. Doesn't work. That, it doesn't right. work that way. Hmm. Completely agreed. So, Peter, one of the things that's implied by this pipeline and workflow approach, and the way that you described, hey, we can run this test if things aren't working. We can we can scale it back. We can send some messages out and so on. There was a, a something in there you said made me think. Wait a minute, I'm not just living inside the itential system. Itential can be talking to a bunch of other systems that I I have. And I guess if you guys are an mm -hmm. API consumer, that's fairly obvious. But tell yep. us about yep. that. So, so yeah, that's, that's really kind of, you know, I think really key, you know, one of the things, and, and this, this actually ties really nicely to this, this conversation, the cyber we're just having about evolution mm -hmm. and revolution. You know, the, the reality is, is that look, you know, different organizations are taking different paths to how they want to achieve their automation goals. I think I, I've, I've told the story, you know, I've, I've made the comment in the past, right? It's, you know, for all of us that are, they're old timers like me, y'all remember the, the, the choose your own adventure books. I don't know if they still exist, but you know, it's that idea you read a few pages and then at the bottom you got to choose, you know, your, the next step and the story would go on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of the state of network automation right now. Um, there is no, not as there's not one way to do it, there isn't 10 ways to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, build versus buy. It's if I'm going to build, how am I going to build? If I'm going to buy, what am I going to buy? And, and, and it's, it's created, you know, for every organization, it's created this, this interesting challenge. In fact, I'll even go into the organization and say within the organization itself, it creates an interesting challenge because not every team looks at the same way. 
um, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of your core infrastructure engineers, you know, want nothing to do with automation versus, you know, maybe your SD-WAN team that wants everything to do with automation. So one of the things that's always been important to, to, to us at Itential is making sure that whatever direction a customer goes, we're providing tools and ways to standardize interfaces so that everything comes back to that workflow canvas. So whether you're writing your own custom application and you didn't put an API on it, or you're leveraging tools like, like Ansible's and Terraform's of the world, or you've got a fully API-enabled system you know, that is your SD-WAN, we, can, we actually have capabilities to bring all that in and make all of that directly consumable by our, our automation canvas for building automations and then delivering them through the pipeline. Hmm. Do you see automation then in the itensor role as kind of another way to say we're going to push some configurations quickly and error-free and you know, make sure everything's good? Or, or is there more to automation than this focus we've had really around configuration yeah. management? Yeah, I think I think there's much more to it. You know, automation and and you know, automation really, if if you kind of just break it down, right, it, it really needs to become less of an action, less of a verb, and more of a mindset or more of a noun in organizations. In other words, what the hope is is that you know, look, we can do anything with software, and and unfortunately, we try to do everything with software sometimes. But but the reality is, right, is that. For those organizations, I think, that, are, that have been truly successful on their automation journeys, they've come to the realization that automation is not about doing, it's all about how you approach solving a problem. And, and I think that that's really the big key here. It's got to be more than just pushing config onto a device. It's got to be a mindset in terms of how you approach solving problems to, to deliver a more efficient operational environment. So with that, a, you know, a different mindset to how you deliver the environment, you're talking about a few different things. One is the network teams, mm -hmm. well, really all the silos within an IT organization have been focused yeah. on their silos very often. Of course. But in fact, <laughs> IT as a delivery, as a, as a stack of technologies that work together to deliver an application, you, what, what you're getting at is itential could be used in conjunction with other infrastructure delivery systems to deliver something all at once, or am I still in this world? And this is actually my next question. I mean, who, who's actually using the itential interface? Is it me, the network engineer, or someone else, or is it a combination of people within the IT group? Yes, 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 and yes. Um, <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> Hello, no Mr. Problem. Salesperson. The answer is yes. Where's my purchase order? That... <laughs> let, let me go on record. That might be the first time in the history of our industry that a product manager has come on and said yes to everything. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Okay. So that being said, let's let's kind of let's peel that back a little bit. Yeah. Part of it is part of it, of course, is the organizational journey. Right. And, and, and there are organizations that have started to adopt automation teams, right, that focus on building automations. And, and in that particular case, obviously, it's going to be one person who's doing it. But I think more importantly is and it goes back to, to kind of what I alluded to earlier about about the, the transition from or the, the, yeah, the transition from the, the whiteboard to the canvas. It's the idea that we can build workflows either as individual as independent components that we can tie together. Or we can build one great big workflow where, where everyone is working on it together. So you as the network person, Greg, if you're the, you're the network mm -hmm. guy, right, you can, you can bring in and you can drag on the things you need to make the network change. And then I can come in as the, as the OSS guy and I can 
put all the pieces on there pre and post that I need to do to make sure my pieces come together. And, and Ethan is, is the guy who runs our ticketing system. You know, you can put all those final touches on it so that at the end of the day, the workflow runs and it does what each of us needed it to do, but we yeah. get one final workflow. And it is worth emphasizing that Itential provides a graphical console here, a web interface, and uh, it's That's a right. set of tools. And if you're coming at it from the point of view of I've got a bunch of scripts, you then put the scripts inside it, and then you can this graphical console helps you to debug them, helps you to to control them. It also helps you with the lifecycle of them because once they're in there, you can say this is version one, version two, and then give it Correct. to the operational people, and they can click the same tool, but it might be a new iteration of the script. You don't have to have like script version one, script version one, one script, and then tell them to run the right version, you know, which can lead to problems. But, you know, that's the sort of stuff that, that is changing the operationalization. Yeah. It's, and, and I think it's, it, it's a great point, right? In, in the platform itself, you know, we recognize a distinct uh, persona that is the designer. Now that's not necessarily one person, as I just said, it could be multiple people, but we recognize automation design as a distinct separate persona from the operator persona who really is just there to execute the automation and make sure that that you know nothing blew up in the process. Peter, I think we've got a, a, a kind of a good mental picture of how this thing works, what the canvas is, we can drag and drop, we know we can integrate with anything that's got an op, open API spec. Um, we've got a sense of the different teams that are going to use the tool and how they're going to integrate with it and what that is going to feel like using this within a work group. Okay. Use cases. Some of it's kind of obvious, I guess, configuration management. That's, that's part of it. But if I've got yep. the system in place, there's, there's more there than that. So, so talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the areas that we've made investments in, in the platform for is really all around config compliance or, or, you know, what, what we all love to coin in this industry, golden configs. Everyone loves to talk about golden configs. I don't know about you guys. I've never seen any gold from my configs, but hey, whatever, golden <laughs> configs it is. So it's this thought that, you know, it's one thing to push changes onto the network, but, but how do we ensure that the network is really operating the way we want it to operate. One of the ways that we do it is, is we, we make sure that, that we are eliminating as much bespoke config as we can from the network. Now, obviously some of that has to do with design and, and there's no tool in the world, no operational tool in the world that's gonna help solve that. I think we already kind of touched on that point. But the idea of making sure that, you know, how do you solve the problem of, and, and I'm guilty of it, previous in my career, right? Oh, I can just make this quick change. It'll solve the problem and I can get on with my day and, and so on and so forth, right? We've all, we've all done it. And, and those of you who say you didn't, you're lying to yourselves. We've all done it outside of the change window. So how do I solve for that problem? And, and make sure that, that you know, out-of-band changes don't, don't leak into my configurations. And it's really around config compliance and what we're doing in platform there. It's giving networking teams the ability to analyze their configuration in a tree structure that allows them to validate that a statement is or is not there and then be able to combine a tree such that or combine the the, the branches of a tree to generate a final config let, let me kind of let me take you maybe a step inside the the application well, hang on a second peter because you missed some key buzzwords you could have said i think intent-based networking and and closed loop validation <laughs> i didn't i didn't hear you say that but i think that's kind you of are what correct you mean. i did not no no i i uh, i you know kind of going back to what we were talking about right evolutions versus revolution look an intent-based networking closed closed loop networking you know i think that there are interesting use cases there but we and i try 
to always stay in the present where you know, solving real problems for customers. I have yet to have a customer come to me and say, my problem is I don't have an intent-based system. I have <laughs> had plenty of customers come to me and say, I have got 300 routers and 310 different golden configs, help right? That's a real problem. (laughs) And and I'm glad you made that distinction because I I think there is a distinction and and you've just brought it out. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Within Config Manager, you know, we provide that that ability to, to, you know, enforce, enforce configuration, allow you to build structured config, right? The idea that that within our, our config compliance capabilities, it's this idea that, and we all understand this one, right? I've got my East Coast devices need to point at, at you know, one set of syslog servers. My West Coast devices need to point to a different server. But you know, how do I put this into you know, a way that, that makes sense? Do I have to build two completely and you know, top to bottom set of templates? No. We actually have a tree structure that allows you to construct a config and then validate it um, you know, based on, on what, what your needs and, and you know, how your, your network is organized. There's a very interesting subtlety, though, in config management that we've undertaken, and that is we understand that not all configurations look like iOS or Junos, right? A configuration is a configuration, and when you start getting into some of the newer modern, you know, the SD-WANs of the world, or, or even getting into some of the networking functionality of clouds, you know, transit gateway and so forth, a config could be a JSON blob. And so what we've done with our config management capabilities is we've equally applied the ability to do config compliance with that text-based config, hmm. as well as with that JSON blob and give you all that functionality. Yeah, the all, all the CLI representation, when you do a, a show run at a Cisco ILS command line, it's just basically a bunch of variables that have been you know, pooped out on the screen in a particular format that you can read as a human. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what makes the thing the thing. It's just a text representation of all of the model and variable components, let's say, is how I think of it. So, Indeed. Yeah. I mean, the way you describe that uh, and the way you can represent that, no matter what the source of it is, uh, makes good sense. I, I, and the sad part is that you still have to deal with the text in many cases. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, you know, we, we talk about the slow moving evolution of networking. That might be the one that hurts the most. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that, that this is still how we represent configuration today. And I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on, you know, I've worked at, at the big networking vendors. I mean, I get some of the reasons why, but, but that's still a, that's one that that's a head scratcher. That, that is, that's still what we deal with, you know, every day. So let's lean into this configuration management compliance here and validating mm-hmm. that my configs are quote unquote, the golden configs. If, yeah. uh, so, so what's happening? Itential as a platform is going out and polling devices to make sure that configurations match highlighting diffs or does it automatically do remediation or how does it go? So, so no, it's, it's actually, it's going out there and it's actually collecting the configurations. And then I can, um, you know, I can, I can run that either on a scheduled basis or I can run it on an ad, ad hoc basis where I compare, you know, this is what, what my, my golden config says, this is what's really on the device. Here is, here is my diff and it's you know, all pretty and highlighted like you'd expect from a GUI. Um, you know, I don't know many network engineers that have much of a want to read a unified diff. Um, unfortunately I can, but that's just because I'm strange. Uh, but nevertheless, um, you know, giving it to you in a, in a nice, you know, UI and, 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 you know, this is, this is honestly, and, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing and, and I'll let you make your own determination here, but this capability is when we're, when I'm out working with customers, this is one of the things they grab to almost immediately and say, yes, I need that. I want mm. that. That solves real problems for me today. And I'm yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
Um, it's simple, and I think one of the things that we're facing, for example, right now, we're facing a lot of ransomware attacks, and there's a heightened sense around the urgency with the geopolitical situation in multiple spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that people still don't quite have under control is this whole idea of configuration backups, you know, versioning, what config oh. went where, asset management. And so any tools that can, even having multiple tools doing it is not actually a bad idea. Agreed. Agreed. I think, you know, you absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, what's, what's the, what's the most popular widely deployed network backup solution in the world today? What it's rancid. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, and, and that's saying a lot, but yeah. you know, I think there's, there's another element here and, and that we haven't touched on, I think is really key. And that is, you know, I talked a lot about this whole choose your adventure around this, and this kind of does play into config compliance, but it's this idea that, that, you know, how do I actually, achieve benefit from a system like Itentio because, you know, I don't have a source of truth. Well, that's complete bogus, right? And, and so the reality is, is I think that as an industry, we've gotten a little bit wrapped around the axle around this idea of source of truth. And, and the reality is, is the source of truth has always been there. In fact, there's, it's been there in many different formats in many different ways. And I think that, you know, when it comes to config compliance and being able to say, okay, I need to generate a, a final config, and the data that I need can be anywhere. I think that's where you put the workflow capabilities of Itential together with the, the config compliance capabilities, and you've got a very powerful system on your hands now. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. The, the sources of truth can be anywhere. Dude, that was hand wavy. Um, <laughs> give me <an> <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so, so again, you know, let's, let's, you know, and, and let's all look in the mirror and say, you know, what is the most widely deployed inventory system out there? We know what it is, right? It's Microsoft Excel. And the whole world goes, ah, okay, you're right. So the, the, the point is this, is that, you know, because we can interface with things, you know, at an API, we can extract information and we can then, we can transcode that information on the fly, that data on the fly to represent it the way we need to. I don't care where your source of truth is. I don't care what you define as your source of truth, as long as it's not in your head. As long as it's in some kind of electric format that I can get to, whether mm -hmm. it's in Excel, whether it's in a flat file, whether it's in, you know, name your favorite inventory system, name your favorite cloud management system, I don't care. And, and let's be honest, there is no such thing as one source of truth. There are many, many, many sources of truth, and we have to be able to interface with them all in order to do the job we're asked to do. Okay, so the, you're making the point that the data source is agnostic. You, as long as you can talk to whatever the data source is, you don't care where that data source is. Uh, it becomes an organizational decision to decide what the source of truth is and have everybody rally around that and conform to that source of truth, whether it's as sexy as a database with a nice UI on the front or as crappy as an Excel spreadsheet because it's the lowest common denominator and we can all use it. <laughs> so, yeah, and that's exactly right. You, you, are, you are spot on right. You know, as, as an interesting aside, though, it just dawned on me, you know, Microsoft missed a, a huge opportunity to, to re-represent Excel as a network automation database, but... You know, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> there's more money in, rep in doing that's unusual tables. for them to miss that kind of marketing opportunity. Yeah, it, it is, but there's way more money in pivot tables and connecting to traditional databases and doing uh, load and extract from your accounting system. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Eyes on the prize, uh, eyes on the prize, <laughs> always. Yeah. yeah, Peter, we've talked to a lot of different network automation 
product managers and the such like, and different of them are targeted at different customers. Now, I think in the top of the show, we mentioned enterprises, but maybe it would be good if you gave us an example of the, the typical kind of organization that is going to be an Itential customer. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, Itential has been doing this for the better part of seven years already. Um, so, you know, we're, we're not the new kid on the block, so to speak. And a lot of our lineage and history actually came from the service provider space. That's actually where Itencho kind of made its initial mark in, in, in the world. And we're just now at the point where, where the, the technology is maturing and it's becoming fine-tuned so that, that it's more applicable to the enterprise domain, which is not to say, and, and I don't want anyone to walk away from this thinking I'm saying that, that somehow you know, managing service provider network is, is special or different or than, than enterprise. It's not. In fact, I would say that, that you know, building and automating enterprise infrastructure is, is one of the hardest and pervasive problems to solve. Um, but we are now just getting to a point that, that our technology has been battle-tested to the point where we are comfortable sitting down with enterprise customers and we're having tremendous success, especially with, with some of our, our big financial customers in fintech, um, really embracing the capabilities that we're bringing and, and real, really solving problems for them in, in a way that, that is allowing them to optimize their, their operations. And so when I talk about scalable or enterprise scalable automation, um, it's really all about that because while SPs bring a lot, they're, they're able to consume the raw power of a platform like Itential. It's when we sit down and across the table from, say, some of our financial customers and say, that's great, you can do this, but you, if you can't deliver this in a way that I can audit it, that I understand what's going on, that I can secure mm. it, um, it's, it's a non-starter for me. And I think that's really where we're at and, and where we're at in our journey. And that, and that is actually part of the problem around intent-based networking and AI ops is we don't we go from having this visibility of, of networking of old was actually quite simple. Hop by hop, end-to-end -end paths, one only, one path from a source to a destination. And now mm -hmm. modern networking is much more sophisticated, much more complex, and many more interdependencies. There might be multiple paths from a source to a destination. It travels over the shared network, the public network, which has unknown quantity. And there's so many more variables in the whole system that you need to have, start thinking about new ways to configure it because you're actually working in a world of uncertainty. There's less, so you have to have tools that bring back some part of the certainty in the network that you didn't have before, I think. I completely agree, 100%. Mm. Well, Peter, if folks want to find out more about Itential, where would you send them? Itential.com, um, you know, get all the information you need about, about platform there. And also uh, we actually have a, a cloud-based or as a service delivery mechanism of our platform technology. You can actually uh, sign up there at, at itential.com slash getting hyphen started. Uh, sign up for free, start using, you know, don't take my word for it. Sign up and try it yourself because, you know, that's, that's the way, uh, that's the only way to, to move forward. Peter, thanks for joining us today on Packet Pushers Heavy Networking. And if you're listening, you're interested in this particular approach to network automation, again, itential.com uh, slash Packet Pushers. They built a landing page there with some of the other podcasts that we have recorded with Itential embedded right there on that page at itential.com slash Packet Pushers. And our thanks to Itential for sponsoring today's Heavy Networking. And uh, again, if, if you ring up Itential to discuss your network automation challenges, be sure to let them know you heard about them on the Packet Pushers podcast network 
Network. And thanks for listening, by the way. If you're trying to keep up with the ever-changing face of information technology, we got a lot of other free resources all at PacketPushers.net. I know heavy networking is the one everybody listens to, but there's all these other active podcasts we have, like IPv6 Buzz and Heavy Strategy and Day 2 Cloud. We have a community Slack group, too. That's there. It's free for you. Over 2,000 network engineers, cloud folks, all hanging out, exchanging notes, solving problems. We got a weekly newsletter, Human Infrastructure Magazine, and there's engineering blogs, and there's industry news, and that's all at PacketPushers.net. If you're social and you'd like to follow us, we're on Twitter at PacketPushers, and you can find us on LinkedIn as well. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.